Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, you guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. What is up, everybody? I am Chris Sinclair. Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. I am joined, as always, by my very, very good friend and co-host, Mr. Drew Garrison. Homie, what the fuck is up, baby? You know what? I am broadcasting live from my brand new desk slash whiskey den 10 forward replica greatness i don't know i'm but i'm but i'm hanging out at my new desk there's booze all around me i don't know what i even want to drink tonight because there's so many options within arm's reach like i feel like a kid in the candy store and uh, and i and i don't know what to do because the the guest that we have tonight is also just adding to that sugar rush because the things that he does <laughs> the things that he create get me so excited um you might you might recognize his instagram name which is whiskey and donuts uh, our guest tonight is probably my favorite whiskey content creator on the gram these days. And then I had the pleasure of meeting him in person at Whiskeys of the World. Uh, we, I think it's a month ago now. I don't even know how long ago it was. But Johnny, what's going on, man? Thank you so much for for joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is uh, I know we've been setting it back a couple of weeks, but uh, it's so rad to be on here. You're thanks a busy guy. Me. You're a busy guy. Like you just, you know, you're, you're, you're now working also, you know, for, for my company doing all kinds of really, mm-hmm. really great creation. But, but again, to kind of come back to, um, you know, the, the original thing that Lisa, said, I came, I came across your profile before, um, before like you came into the JVS fold and it's one of my favorite Instagram accounts. And it's just, it's so goddamn entertaining that, that you've taken this concept of pairing whiskey with donuts and now you've become like this expert that people ask you questions about pairing whiskey with donuts, which, uh, before we, before I really get into the questioning with that, like first, first of all, and I'm sorry, what are you drinking? I am drinking, uh, the, uh, McNair's Lumreek 12 year old. Um, it's obviously from, uh, from, uh, Glen and it's, uh, it's a beauty blend back to blends, baby. I I love I love that whiskey so much, and I love um I love what Glen Alecky is doing, and then for them to come out with these uh, with these cool instruments. So there's the twelve, they have a non age statement, and they also have the twenty one year, and the um the twelve is so great, super affordable, and and all that fun stuff. But okay, all right, so we're drink- so you're drinking that, we're drinking scotch, obviously, um, whiskey and donuts. It's exactly what it sounds like. You pair different types of whiskey with different types of donuts. What, what started this? Like, I mean, what, what was, how, how did, how did this come to be? Uh, 2014, my wife and I took a late honeymoon uh, to Scotland in search of heritage. Me being a half Filipino, half Scottish person, as you can Nat- tell. Natural blend, <laughs> natural blend, natural blend, natural blend, natural blend. You know, <laughs> um, found ourselves in, in the heart of Speyside um, and spent almost a month there with uh, the owner of the cottage who was the uh, creator of Spirit of Speyside and quite the connoisseur and historian of the area and whiskey itself. And he sent us back with a, a few bottles 
um, proceeded to share it with a bunch of friends being in Southern California, donut Mecca, as far as I'm concerned. I know donuts are abundant in the USA, every state now, but, you know, for Southern California, it's always been around and we had a, you know, a pop the cork type night with a few things and, and we ended up going to get some donuts and we said, this is actually pretty good. And we were joking with friends and, and family and, um, it kind of, as the night went on, it kind of became like a dare. And so it, it was just this thing, like, I'm going to start taking pictures like, like I do. That's what I do professionally be, besides that. So I was like, oh, I'm going to perfect my craft and just have some fun with this. I had no intention of trying to make it popular. I had no intention of trying to do anything other than what you, what it's called, that it just was the experiment of it. And, um, as things proceeded, it, it became more of a, a, a tongue-in-cheek type thing and almost a social social statement and uh, almost a dare to others that are taking it a little bit more seriously. I so love that. That's... I love that so much. <laughs> and I mean, and again, like this is, as you said, like this thing is kind of, you know, kind of took off on you. I mean, now currently oh, yeah. you sit at over 14,000 people are following you on Instagram and just to see you pair whiskey and donuts. And then the other thing <laughs> that I think is, I think is really, really funny and proof positive that, um, that you are having an influence on the industry is part of the, part of the, t- the title is the original pairing of the best whiskey and donuts worldwide. So there are, there yeah. are now, <laughs> there are now copycats. Is that, was that what we were yeah. to believe? Well, there's, there's always, there's always that, um, that notion that there's always, you know, with saturation in this world right now with, with social media and everyone wants a piece of what everyone else is doing and it's not necessarily genuine. And I am in the business of marketing and it's not just social media. I I come from a design and marketing background where that science has not changed even as, as technology changes and the way that we receive and, and produce media. Um, It's just kind of, you know, you had to add that tag on there just to, solidify it get the get the tm <laughs> yeah no for sure so and let, yeah. and let me let me ask you this so there's there's obviously um you know just just being on the spirit side of it like we know that when when things catch on like this you've probably been approached by brands to be like hey like would you be willing to pair our whiskey with a donut and, and you don't need to get into details of whether or not you did that or how that works but what i do want to know is do you also get approached by donut makers and, or can, or, you know, if you walk into a shop, is there any clout for the whiskey and donuts guy when you go into a new donut shop? (laughs) I don't know if it's that crazy on the donut side, but for the donuts that have been paired from the existing donut shops, um, I definitely, uh, there's no red carpet, but, um, there's a, there's a fresh hot donut waiting for me to be paired. So whether, <laughs> even if, even if I, uh, ask for it to be, uh, the request is to have it be deconstructed because, you know, in order to make these donuts look like, you know, it's the typical Burger King thing, you get the burger and you go, this set looks nothing like the picture that's on the window, you know, and it's, right. it's the same right. thing with a donut except tenfold because it's just a bunch of hot dairy and melted sugar, you know, and the moment that thing cools off, it either hardens up like a rock or it, it starts melting in, in front of your, your eyes. So yeah, that's, uh, I need that clout just so the pictures look better. That's it. It's not about me. It's just, <laughs> I'm trying to do them justice. Right. Right. Um, Hey, Chris, 
Yo. You're doing a great job of 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 just listening tonight, and I'm proud of you. Um, <laughs> You've what, are you, what, what are you drinking? Uh, you'll be very, very surprised tonight. I am drinking uh, my very own uh, whiskey collaboration. What? My uh, my my saying you'd be surprised was completely tongue in cheek. Uh, yeah, I kind of figured the, that you would pick this tonight. Absolutely. I mean, how could I not? It just landed. It's selling like hotcakes or like donuts, if you will. It's unlike uh, donuts, baby. Unlike this donuts. is a donut focused podcast. Goddamn right. <laughs> Maybe we get Dunkin' Donuts to keep it in the loop. sponsor us. That'd be great. Then we could pair it with my whiskey. I don't know if it goes together. I'm sure we could find something. Dunkin' Donuts, hit me up. Yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, Westward Whiskey, <laughs> um, uh, American Single Malt coming out of Portland uh, from House Spirits. Uh, um, I I asked them years ago to send a few barrels uh, or to send a barrel uh, that had been used to age whiskey down to my favorite domestic cider house in uh, Corvallis, uh, Oregon, down to two towns. Uh, two towns then filled up this uh, this uh, used barrel to age some of their bad apple cider. It's their uh, um, they release it once a year or twice a year, I believe. Uh, and it's their it's sort of like higher proof. I want to say it's like nine or ten percent. It's something astronomically high. It's and and just outrageously delicious um, uh, cider. And then they took that uh, they took that cider out, sent that barrel back to Westward, and then they aged the whiskey back in that uh, again. And it's finally ready, and it's finally here, and it's been bottled. And uh, I don't know, Drew, what do you think about it? Well, in an interesting plot twist. I also picked your whiskey to drink tonight. Um, (laughs) I'll I'll say this. And for, for any of any of our listeners out there, like you guys know how much shit I give Chris and I don't think you think it's bad on the podcast. You should see it in real life. I am relentless. (laughs) That's Um, got a fact. Outside of the most beautiful baby named Carmela, this is the best thing you've ever done in your life. Um, like it is, it, it is so good and it makes, I mean, it makes a lot of sense because I also, I do love Westward. I do love two towns to have those things come together and a flavor profile that I already appreciate and to have them mix like is, is great. But like I tried another cider single malt today. So I've had now two, in the in the past week, which and I who had do they even exist zero in the yeah, <laughs> and I didn't even know they existed. Um, and it was good. It was it was from the Virginia Virginia Single Malt uh, Company or something like that, and um, it was good. It was it was very good, but compared to this one, oh my gosh! Like this is this is arguably one of the best whiskeys I've ever had. Um, it's so good. It's so unique. Um, you know, I remember when Westward change their packaging yeah i still and, have one of those old packages the the 375 or are you yeah, talking about like more with, recently the more recently the 750 ones were just kind of yeah. like more like the standard bottles and they went and they went to these ones like basically like vodka bottle design right. and um and at first i didn't like it but now like the way that they do their barrel picks like they do this uh you know i guess like copper 
label on it that has like you know who selected this and what what the cask was what the abv is and what bottle number it is it just pops it's such a beautiful beautiful bottle um the juice inside is is even better um johnny we're gonna have to get you a bottle because we can't just continue to to wax poetically about this and then not not get you one so so we'll do that but like you said chris like this this stuff is flying right how many bottles are 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 there there are uh 38 cases in total and we are already through case six um and it landed four days ago oh yeah so it's there's, moving there's really and there's six six pack cases so there's really not that many um and th- these right. things are i mean they're flying which is so great. So, um, well, so awesome. we're both, so we're, so we're both drinking that, which is, which is really, really fun. Um, and, and again, like if, if you're looking for, if you're looking for just for, for a cool, a cool whiskey, you know, whether it's the Lumrig 12 or the Westward, you know, um, barrel pick from, from good bottle. I think they're just both, they're, they're both awesome. Um, that does, that does remind me and, and Johnny, you did actually a little Q and A today on your Instagram, which, which I always love, and I can't wait till I get to the point where like I can put out questions and people actually ask them. You know, like when I have <laughs> enough enough people who who care. But um, you know, this is this is a you know a unique a unique pairing, and of course, whiskey and donuts is a unique pairing. Um, has there ever? Because I I know you 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 answered the question like what was the most unusual pairing that you weren't expecting that ended up being really good, which you can touch on that again if you if you mm-hmm. want. But I'd also like to know is like was there ever a whiskey like like we just can't find a home for this? We can't find we can't find a donut dance partner. I I'd be lying if I said that you know I, I kind of just made something work because there was a touch of visual to it. Say oh it's Orange Week or Halloween, <laughs> you know like. The Halloween donut is usually less um, fragrant and themey other than the visual aspect of it. You know, a Frankenstein doesn't taste like anything <laughs> because it's made of frosting. It's, and it doesn't go with a Westward or what you, it, it's one of those. So I wouldn't say there's something that just didn't work. It just didn't have that aha moment, which I think I always try to find where it's either the juxtaposition or it, it's in harmony. It's, here's peaches and peaches or here's peaches and some Bavarian salted cream, you know, that might be a departure of something. So it's, yeah, it's subtleties and, you know, variations of, of the two. So I, I don't know if I would say that there's anything that's a bad, bad apple. So. Okay. Yeah. But that's um yeah. You keep your secrets. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. We can <laughs> talk about it after we stop recording. I'll tell you, there's no secrets. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So now, you know, we, we do have a lot of industry people that listen. And then, um, like one of the things that, that I do, that I do love about your account and then just, just you and Jared, cause like you said, like, you know, this is your gig, like you're, you're, you know, you do marketing, you understand trends, you understand, you know, kind of the visuals and what people want to see and stuff like that. And it's just plugging this equation into different, you know, different, different venues and different industries. Um, you know, if you could, as you've gotten more and more like, you know, into this industry and deeper into this industry and you see kind of what other brands do or whatever, you know, the quote unquote influencers do and stuff like that. Like, what would you say is important for anybody who's like trying to start something like a whiskey and donuts or at least start some sort of brand within the alcohol industry? Like what are some things that, you know, that they should, 
you know, try to do, and then maybe some pitfalls to, to avoid. Um, I think the, the thing to start off with is the thing that's going to avoid those pitfalls is something that we spoke about when we met um, it's quality of content period. Like if you're genuine about what you want to do, don't worry about what other people think about what you think you're going to do. Just make sure when you do it, you're just being completely authentic to yourself. Not even, you know, obviously you have a radar to, to have a quality control to it, but just be genuine and be forthright with what your abilities are. And, you know, I, I come from a visual aspect of what I speak about, because that's kind of the world we live in. Everything's a scrolling effect right now to where even if you have something that's very profound, either written or said, the visual aspect is what retains the person from skipping over you. So that visual aspect has to be there to elite, to a certain minimum of quality. And then everything else follows. You know, I, I think something that, for example, the, when I started actually talking about what I was doing, that's when things started working because they were like, oh, there's some type of intuition behind an image. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a package of just being authentic, period. And I, I think love the pitfall that. is if you just don't, you know, if, if it's kind of too weird, it's just going to be too weird. And that's the, that's the pitfall. But if you're into it, this world's, you know, accepting of, of you trying that out, whatever it is, especially with social media and marketing. So it's a, it's a beautiful world and it's also very vicious and accepting of the both is kind of just going to make you better. I think. Yeah, that's actually really, really interesting. I mean, I, you know, I don't think that, I don't think that I've ever been to the point where I really kind of been viral or anything like that. But I've definitely at certain times like caught, you know, people on a bad day via social media and the onslaught was pretty vicious. Like, is there a group of anti whiskey and donut pairing people out there that you have to deal with? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Purists. (laughs) Disgusting. Purists. This is a terrible, terrible world. No, but that's, that's the best (laughs) part though. Right? Like, I mean, there, there's, there's many sides to the situation where you could, or myself, I could automatically adhere to that, but why, you know, there's just, it, it doesn't, Hey, they're following if they can choose not to, but I'm not going to tell them to, or not to like that's speak. And if they're, if it's, you know, derogatory and inappropriate for other people, that's where I draw the line. But past that, it's, you know, that's, that's the price you pay for, for going public. I mean, and I'm talking about 14,000 followers. That's nothing compared to these other people that aren't selling anything or have a creative idea. They're just look at me and I, I take more clothes off. I don't know. know? Are there, are there, are there donut purists? Like, are there people, there are donut purists. Do they get mad at you for pairing certain whiskeys with your donuts or the fact that there's whiskey anywhere near the donut? Sure. Yeah. There's, there's, there's the cheat day people. It, it, but that's the funny part. It's funny still, but why are you surprised? You know, it's. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not surprised. I, I think because I, I definitely li- live my life in, in a way that I believe if there is a thing that is to exist, it already exists. Right. So I'm, I'm not really yeah. surprised. I, I think I'm more blown away by uh, the, the gall of someone to reach out and actually like put pen to paper as it were for commenting on a, uh, on being offended by by whiskey being around donuts. Let's not even go uh, to the 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 whiskey part or the donut part, the anti or the pros. And it's uh, I've 
did a little change up just because I wanted to, where it was mainly like white backgrounds. And then the, the bottle and the glass and the donut were sitting there. And I changed it up to like light backgrounds. And traditionally it was just very moody and one light and dark. Like you're sitting next to a fire, the typical drinking whiskey attitude. People were just like, bring back my dark, moody <laughs> setting. What are you doing? This is my fix. Like, you oh, changed God. the recipe. Like you changed the recipe on me, you know? And, and I kind of went at it kind of, uh, you know, lightly and, and they were serious. They were very, very serious. Oh, and this was just one person. This is a few people. And that was only when I had a, you know, a few, I don't know how many thousand, a few thousand or something like that. It was just, okay. Wow. Jesus. That's spectacular. <laughs> it is, right? <laughs> this is so much more fascinating. I mean, I was excited about this conversation, but like hearing about the underbelly of the yeah. of the whiskey and donut world. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is, this is, you know, headline, headline stuff. Um, well, speaking, speaking of headlines, I think it's time for our opinion on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. All right. So our first thing that we're going to cover is not necessarily a like breaking news story or anything like that, but just one that I thought was particularly interesting and considering that we're doing a big time, um, you know, food pairing guest. uh, I wanted to talk about the, the, levels of arsenic that are still in our wine. And I realize that that sounds like a little depressing and, and things like that. But um, I came across this article on uh, on Wine Mag, and they just talk about how closely arsenic and wine exist together in this world. Now, uh, the, fun, the fun thing about this article is that you actually get to learn some like really interesting kind of world history and, and things of that nature. And then also finding out a little bit more about arsenic. I mean, I'm not I don't really know a whole lot about it and, you know, going into this, but did end up finding out it's a naturally occurring element in the world. Um, it was basically used as a pesticide for years um, and to, to the point, cause it just kills literally everything. Um, but they had like really fun marketing behind it with stuff called like Paris green. Cause they would, you know, tell you that they'd keep your crops green by killing all the bugs. Um, and then, you know, and the fact that, because it was such a huge part of agriculture, um, this is stuff that probably still exists within within the world of wine, and um, it doesn't. It's not necessarily a compound that can necessarily get like washed out by heavy rain. And um, now we are at safe levels, and arsenic, and most especially like in the U.S. and in Europe, is is heavily regulated and not allowed. But maybe in other countries, not as much. But I just thought this was a really interesting interesting article and um so i just wanted i want people to read it i want them to check it out and uh you know so so with that chris what were some of your thoughts because like when i sent you the articles like you know typically you're kind of like okay cool but you were like really stoked on them and i don't know if it was this one or maybe the next one that we're doing but um what did you think of the of the of the breakdown of of you know arsenic and wine in our history uh i i have this um fascination with uh consuming things that maybe we shouldn't be consuming i mean i guess that's why we talk about booze in general um but honestly <laughs> what 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 like showed up to me uh in my little in my radar in my head was was not just cyanide but uh, sorry not just arsenic but ta- uh, talking about cyanide right like if, if we're looking at um uh peach pits uh apricot pits uh that 
get used for creating like orjot and whatnot, you know, levels of cyanide that, that are in that um, still exist today. Uh, there's a certain amount um, that's allowed by, by FDA that actually just adds flavor. Whereas arsenic doesn't add flavor. It's tasteless, odorless. Uh, and that's, that's kind of the danger of it. Um, uh, and, and will always exist. Right. But FDA, I think uh, through, through this article, I believe, uh, suggest that there's like 10 parts per billion that are al- allowable and consumable um, at least for, for the, uh, the organic uh, organically occurring uh, arsenic. Uh, I, I'm not sure yeah. what, it, what it is for, for cyanide, but um, uh, don't go out there and try to figure it out yourself. We'll, we'll just say that. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the levels are pretty negligible and that's like one of the things that it mentions that, you know, this is something that most wineries don't even test for anymore because the levels are so low and it might've been like a headline in like the early 1900s, but it really haven't had anything since the fifties. Um, and even one lawsuit that they referenced in 2015, um, was basically just like an ambulance chasing lawyer trying to come up with issues that really didn't exist. Um, so, so, I mean, it's, it's like, it's very much so tied to the history of wine and, you know, keeping, you know, different pests and molds out of the vineyards and other forms of that. But again, it's, you know, it was, it was more like an interesting deep dive on the history and, and whatnot. Um, you know, you know, one, one thing that came up for me that, that I was curious about because, um, specifically in this article, they, they refer to, um, a lot of the Western world, you know, it, it being antiquated, it's no longer in there. It's not allowed by the government really within a certain amount like we, we talked about before. Um, but I'm curious about sort of like Eastern Europe, right? Like uh, Georgian wine is very, uh, is huge in, in your book, Drew. I, I'm curious, and I'm mm-hmm. sure you don't know the answer to this, but I, I'm curious, you know, if maybe there's a, a prevalence of organic arsenic that's that's available, right? Um, when the, there's not as many so, people looking as closely. I think it's, I think that's a great question. And, um, and that might be, you know, an issue like with a lot of natural wines and, and towards the end of the article, they actually did give like a count on how much like, so, so first of all, you'd have to find bottles that like have higher levels of this organic, you know, um, arsenic in it, but then you would have to, you'd have to drink six and a half wine bottles. And I got to be honest with you. When I read that number, I was like, I'm pretty sure I can do that. Like, I think, I think the writer was like trying to make it, make it seem like it was like really insurmountable. And I just didn't get that vibe. I was kind of like challenge accepted. Like, let's, let's see what we can do. I'm pretty sure other issues will pop up before the arsenic is an issue at six and a half bottles of wine for me. Um, but that that sounds like a good Thanksgiving dinner, honestly. I mean, uh, uh, the only way to get through it. Right. Um, I don't know. J- Johnny, what did you think of the article? Well, it just, it, I, I thought it was going to go into something how it was where I've seen this before in articles where it's like, Oh, but it, there is an additive to the percentage that makes the wine be this thing where X amount of years down the line, is it going to, is it going to become this like resurgence where they're going to go, okay, these groups of wines based upon the level of arsenic is going to be worth this much because it's not going to kill you. But it adds this this touch of, you know, smoky apt afterbirth and this Cabernet, whatever the heck it is, you know, something kind of, uh, you know, folkloric that that is good for marketing. And it, it kind of 
adds a little bit of legs to a, a red wine or something. Um, but no, it's just like, no, it's, uh, it's not a good percentage and it's not really abundant. So we're just pointing it out just to, uh, maybe it's for the, the legality aspect of it, right. Moving mm-hmm. forward. Um, I don't know. <laughs> well, but I, I, I agree with you there. Six. Let's, let's go for it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Let, let, so now, now, now you are, you are heavily experienced in the world of delicious things when it comes to the whiskey and donuts. Is there a donut that you've had during, during your tenure of the whiskey and donuts guy that you're like, if so, like they make it, you know, it's one of the best donuts you've ever had. They're like, by the way, there's just a little bit of arsenic in there. Are you, what, what is that donut that you're still eating? Even if there's just a little bit of that organic arsenic. <laughs> I think, I, I don't think it's what donut. I mean, it's donuts, right? If there's, there isn't, if it's, if it's in one, you've seen how donuts are made. If it's one donut, it's every single donut that's being made that day. So. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, it's the, the, the blueberry donut for me would be just the, uh, the arsenic overload. The blueberry from, uh, donut. The, it's, okay. a, it's a blueberry donut, glazed donut. I, I love those cake donuts. How about you? Oh man, I feel like I feel like I'm not like the donut aficionado, even though like I do out of like out of like all like the things that you could put into the dessert category, especially as I've gotten mm-hmm. a lot more into coffee, like the the going from because I just drink my coffee black. So going from the you know that to having the sweetness so, of the donut is is just it's really I love doing that now. Um, and then I also watched that donut documentary that came out um, mm-hmm. like last year, which like talks about how, you know, this donut, donuts became, donut donut, King. yeah, Donut King how, and how it became like, yeah. you know, so prevalent in Southern California and then, and then on from there. And then even up here in Northern California, you can still see his influence through all the little donut shops. Mm-hmm. It's actually, it's really cool. Um, but uh, I mean, you know, his story ended up being really sad, but I think he's okay now. Like he seems like he's yeah. happy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's a great, it's a great documentary if people haven't watched that one. Uh, but uh, gosh, I mean, I think, I think for myself, like the cinnamon roll is just, it's such a place of comfort for myself. Like mm-hmm. I, I really, really enjoy that. Um, and then maybe like this, like the same, like the cinnamon twist. Like I just, I really, really enjoy uh, that donut. Not big on on the frostings and stuff like that. So I'm not. I'd be the opposite review. Yeah, I, you know, I think. I think aesthetically, beautiful. You know, but uh, not for me. I don't know, Chris. What about you? What What's uh, I mean? So yeah. So yeah, I would eat a cinnamon twist with some arsenic in it. Arsenic in it. Like I'm in. You know, like let's 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 bring it on. Um, but Chris, what about you? Man, I'm a I'm a Boston cream guy all day long. Oh, all right. Yeah, man. Uh, like, I don't need the Jimmy's. I don't, I don't need the. I don't need the. Uh, you know, the strawberry frosting or anything like chocolate frosting, vanilla custard. Bang, boom, done. Delicious. Especially like, yeah. I, but I'm more of like a fluffy donut guy. Like, I like it to like squish and like melt in my mouth. I'm not a big like cakey donut guy. So it's the it's the yeast sponginess that you like the. Uh, oh man, it's the yeah. yeast based. Yeah, this yeast and cake that yeah. next to each that like being then squishing into the the cream in the middle stupid good but but see just so you know that's where the arsenic happens yeah i'm good with that (laughs) (laughs) i i I know what you're talking about but that's where the arsenic happens yeah yeah and and i'll have six of them (laughs) 
I think I think what we need to do, Chris, is we just need to we just need to change this the name of this podcast, you know, from the Good Bottle Podcast to like the Good Donut Podcast. Like Down. we just want to talk yeah. about donuts all the <laughs> Sorry, time. Sorry, guys. Now. There's clearly there's clearly this world that I'm not exploring enough. And you know, Johnny tapped into it and he's just kinda like he's like, You guys have no idea how deep the rabbit hole goes. Yeah, we found you our know. true calling. Hey, it, yeah. <laughs> you saw the first documentary, you haven't seen Donut King too. Well, well, towards towards the end of that documentary, they did talk about how you have the newer generation, um, and I'm and I'm totally, I'm God, I'm totally blinking on what country uh, Uh, is it Vietnamese or Thailand? Yeah, that's where. Yeah, yeah, it was Philippines are close enough, so. There you go. You know, yeah, yeah. See, like a, you could have you could have been, <laughs> you, you been featured at the end, but uh, but yeah, I think I think there's a lot of things that I'd still drink, especially this Westward Single Barrel of like you know good bottle good bottle whiskey aged in aged cider barrels. That's amazing, I'd, man! Congratulations. I would drink some arsenic if I got the, if that was the taste <laughs> profile. So speak, speaking of Westward, though, just to, if I could take a second, um, I recently went up there. Um, and visited, and I will say that American single malt is here, and it was that it was that distillery that kind of made me go, wow, amazing, amazing stuff. Like, like in the way of going to a Scottish distillery for the first time, thinking that same, having that same feeling, going, this isn't, and it's not a knock on any other distillery in America. It's just I felt this the taste and, and the idea of it. Um, I'm, I'm excited about that distillery for sure. So for you to have a, a few bottles of that is, is amazing. Oh, congrats. Well, I totally, I totally agree. I mean, I, I, I'm a big proponent of, of American single malts, uh, and stuff like that. And Westward is really doing, you know, some special things like there, there was a single cast that we did a couple of years ago through my local whiskey group. That is, you know, one of my favorite whiskeys ever, and then now mm-hmm. this one, you know, quickly vaulted to to the top of the list as well. And um, you know, for me, it the preference is always going to be peated whiskey, right? And to have something that's not peated jump up this like, you know, and, and again, it's it's a unique cask, which I'm also a sucker for. Like, you know, like the milk and honey pomegranate cask is one of my favorite whiskeys mm-hmm. as well. Like it's just it's so it's so distinct from the other things while also having that familiarity that doesn't exist anywhere else. So, um, yeah, no, this is a dope bottle, Chris. Again, cannot believe that you pulled this off. Unbelievable. Hey man, <laughs> blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to grab a bottle. Yo. <laughs> okay. So now on to our, our next article. And this is one that most of our listeners are, are going to be at least have a baseline for, and it's just talking about the whiskey bubble, bursting is has that time finally come and most of the article is um is basically built on the uh the auctioning of whiskey bottles and whiskey being an investment for for people and in particular an investment for people for the most for millennials uh really the age bracket from 25 to 40 and a lot of the different numbers that back it up so for example they found that like Sotheby's last spirit sale, um, half the bidders were 54% of them were under the age of 40. And so it just shows like this really big shift in, you know, towards whiskey into more tangible things. And we've seen that in a lot of other areas, but what this article goes to point out is that 
there's really only like these this finite amount of different whiskeys. And as more and more companies start to release unique pairings and things like that and continue to limit the amount of bottles that they're putting into the world, like they might be oversaturated in the market. And there's only so many times that this stuff can really increase before, you know, ultimately like someone has to drink it, right? Like you gotta, you just like, you get to that point where it's like, okay, there's, there's nothing else to do with this, but, but drink it. Um, some of the partnerships that they had talked about was just like with different, you know, different movies and different cars and things like that. Um, now I hope that, you know, that's not necessarily an indicator that the whiskey bubble is about to burst in terms of people's enthusiasm for it. But maybe, you know, what I mean is like, it's like, Hey, when you get your whiskey, drink it, like, these aren't, I mean, I think people like the investments because um, similar to like the sports card trading boom that's happened over the past year and a half as well as like the younger generation likes to have something that's a little bit more tangible. Whereas before, you know, investing was kind of, it felt like these made up numbers that other people did for you. Right. And like, you know, whether you're working with like investment firms and things like that, whereas like this stuff now, whether you're investing in single bottles or you're investing in pieces of different, you know, like you, maybe you buy um, stock in a bottle or you buy stock in a cask or things like that. These things tend to be a little bit more tangible. And then as the article pointed out, it's also something that people feel like they have a little bit more control over, um, you know, over that investment and like the education that they're getting on it and not necessarily having to rely on somebody else to do it. So uh, you know, Johnny, you do spend a lot of time, you know, on social media and you see things that are trending. And that was another thing that was pointed out in this article is like the way that you kind of get into this is by noticing the different trends, what people are buying and stuff like that. If there, if there was uh, a distillery, you know, type of whiskey and you kind of just gave the rub to Westward, but you know, is there, are there any other whiskeys that you're seeing out there right now that you're kind of like, you're like, Hey, you know, maybe those are some bottles that are worth investing in, whether it just be for the taste or potential selling it down, down the line. Um, I, I'll have to say Glen Allakey, the, some of the stuff that they are doing. Um, there are some brand new distilleries on the West side of Scotland that are doing things a little bit more sustainably that I think have a, are creating a rich culture right off the bat, but what's in the bottle tastes good. And I think that's kind of the the hard position on this situation is it all comes down to what's in the bottle. I mean, you do hear about those, those glorious stories about, uh, you know, a 50, 60 year old, whatever it is, or something crazy rare that's been, you know, built inside of a house wall, but th- that's far and few between now. And I think when you open a lot of those bottles, they're not even that good. And I think there's maybe with a saturation of people getting on the train of collecting or drinking whiskey, they're figuring out that even some of the collectibles on certain years of whatever it was and releases that they're actually just not that good compared to what is coming out now or in recent years. So mm-hmm. I'm, I have a substantial collection. I mean, not because I don't um, some that are unopened, but I, I am guilty of a few things that I've purchased because I just want to collect them and hold on to them. Not for flipping. I just see value in them. They are physical. I feel like I can control that, but um, I wonder if that's going to happen, particularly like the McKellen editions or something like that. Is that going to go, is that going to dip really quick? I mean, the the McKellen, the first one is going for three or four, 5,000 now, and that's a $90 bottle of whiskey. Good. But, We've all had 
great other great whiskeys, you know. So and and McAllen was referenced, you know, frequently throughout the article. And McAllen's always brought up when it comes to investing in whiskey and stuff like that. And um, you know, so Chris, this has always been one of our favorite topics because we love to kind of see what people are willing to pay for bottles that they've never tasted before. Um, do you think? that this is this is something that will ever cease because the way that I see it is like most of these bottles are about clout chasing, you know, and just kind of being like that sits on my shelf. It'll never be consumed, but I have it, you know, and that's just basically that's like my no touchy shelf or something like that for some of these for some of these people. I mean, what do you think like as you were reading this article? I mean, I think the I think the title was a little doom and gloom, but then as you read the article, it's kind of like, like, well, I don't think it's that bad. You know, obviously this this Mm -hmm. might slow down, but it's not going away. Yeah, I, I mean, my initial reaction just based on the headline alone uh, was, yeah, right. Uh, I was like, whiskey's not going anywhere. Uh, like, you might see a small dip in sales. But th- like you said, the article wasn't even really based in sales. And, and ironically, really what it came down to is, like, people are drinking it and not investing in it. So is it going anywhere? Like, it, that, it's kind of the opposite, right? Like, it, there's not enough to invest in. Uh, I, I think that there's, um, we're seeing an oversaturation definitely from certain distilleries, mostly because there are only a handful of distilleries in the world that can actually keep up with production. There's just, you know, small, small stills can only produce so much in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year. Right. Versus like your MGPs or, you know, I don't know who else, Alberta or, you know, there, there really aren't that many distilleries out there in the world that can just like crank. Um, and so well, even, even if they are cranking, I mean, they're with the scotch laws in place, like they, they do tend to have to wait a little bit longer, you know, even at the baseline for scotch. Right. Sure. So yeah. well, even I mean, just, even know, just barrel aging is a little bit longer. Right. But they could still sell and a lot of them still do, right? Like you look at Kaula, Kaula still sells as it as it comes out of the still. People will buy barrels and and vats of whiskey for it to sit at Kaula so they take possession of it later. You know, cuz Kaula yeah. is 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 the um you know is the um Isla Scotch that, you know, sells mostly to everyone else not mostly to everyone else but they sell more to other people than any other distillery does and that's simply because they can right like they they produce enough that other people can get it well i i think it it kind of uh this kind of crosses the the bridge when it goes into into marketing the image of it i actually don't concentrate especially with this article and it got me thinking like it's not about the production of it or the 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 real value of the whiskey or if they're bringing out these collections it's based upon a demand of image so thompson brothers they're a a niche independent bottler and they come out with these artisanal style bottles with you know uh unique art artworks on them per release um Mm -hmm. what's the other one that that uh, is the small little distillery that has uh like the spring release and I'm going blank on the name. Um, but the, they, they're releasing it in so few numbers that it's not the distillery that's creating the hype. It's the, the, the retailers 
that get their hands on it that are almost creating, they're bolstering their connection to the distillery. And therefore, they are number one on the hill for the consumer of the ones that are trying to collect it. So it's this feverish thing. And then you combine social media and the visual um, uh, envy of, of what everyone else has in this world type thing. And whiskey is a, um, a James Bond type thing. And you combine all of that and you're like, I want to be that person with the Aston Martin and the uh, penny loafers. Yeah, so I, I think that's a really good the whiskey kind of that's a really good point. And th- there's a really specific reason why people aren't collecting vodka, right? And like it's because <laughs> vodka doesn't have the perception that it ages, you know? Um, yeah. you know, it theoretically should should age just fine in the bottle, right? But it's not sitting in a vat, it's not sitting in a wood in a wood barrel somewhere, uh getting older and cooler the older it gets. Um uh whereas whiskey, even even if it's only eight years in the bottle, the fact that it was like bottled in 1980 still has this mystique about getting older and cooler and neater. Um, and, mm-hmm. and then, it, you know, if it hits auction, Oh my God, there's like this distillery doesn't exist anymore. And you don't have that same um, fervor when it comes to like gin or rum. Yeah. I mean, you, you have some of it with rum, you know, but, but it, it not in the same, not nearly the same way. Yeah, the bar- the barrel aged products definitely do you know ring a little bit more true. Then, but even with that, it comes down to like regionally speaking, to, you know, as well. So, like one thing that we had discussed on this podcast before was, um, you know, like Scotch sales kind of really crush in auctions all over the world, um, but like bourbon doesn't. You know, like we saw the. Um, what was it, the 1983 old Fitzgerald like sold for a couple hundred dollars, you know? And it was just like, I was like, that's hilarious. Like this is the, in the UK is where it, where it sold. Like had it sold here, it probably would have been, you know, crazy. But in the UK, it was just a, a few hundred dollars. Cause you know, that perception that you guys are talking about, you know, it's like, it's like, oh, that's not really a big deal. You know, at least in terms of what we're seeing over here, like we want big age statements, you know, we want, um, you know, mothball distilleries and, and, and names that are, that are huge, you know, and there's, there's, you know, when, when people talk to me about investing in whiskey or rum for that matter, you know, the, there, there's really only two, two distilleries that, that I think of, like when it comes to that. And, you know, one of them is Coroni. I think Coroni has got this like really, um, really feverish like you know fandom behind it even though it's like one of like it is just an ass kicker of a rum like that is a that is not an easy bottle to drink um but people really you know uh flock to it and then the other one and i don't think this is going to surprise anybody but to me you know one of the few whiskeys like really worth investing in is mccallan like mccallan just is always going to sell and it's just it you know say what you will about the brand and what it is today but it's like it's like hey man you get your hands on like like johnny was talking about that first you know that uh, um the edition one that came out just a few years ago and to see the increase in price is ridiculous you know so those are really the only two that i would ever um if i was to invest but i'm too busy drinking my stuff i can't i can't invest in anything like I, that's not where my money's going you know is there is what there a it? young distillery that you would invest in? You know, oh, get, get their get Ooh. their whiskeys. Something that you would you would you would you know bet probably will be worth something in a few years. 
So, you know, and this, this is what, well, this will be biased for me, but like, you know, my, my thought process goes to, to milk and honey out of Israel. I just think that they're doing really good stuff. But I think if you're, I think if you're being smarter with your money and you're just kind of, and you really are trying to play off of like what is consistently been the, the hitters, it's probably Ardnamurkin. You know, it's mm-hmm. a Scotch distillery, um, you know, it, this is, I don't know if this was the one that you were talking about earlier, Johnny, but like, you know, they, they are about like this, you know, the sustainability aspect to it and the zero net, yes. you, know, car, you know, carbon That's emissions exactly and whatnot. It. And I think, um, you know, when you see these distilleries pop up in Scotland, um, I think that, I think that they're, uh, you know, they're getting a lot of fanfare and people are excited to see, you know, uh, Scotch distilleries pop up and continue to grow, especially because it's a it's an industry that's so heavily dominated by conglomerates now that like when these independents do pop up, like you know if you look at some of the first bottlings of Kilhoman, like those bottles are worth a ton of money now. Um, if you're talking American whiskey, I think the one that I'm probably I'd be like the most hyped on that you can kind of still get into now. It's like, you know, Westward's great, but you know, it's going to be really hard to get one of the earlier bottlings from them. But I think someone who came like right out the gate uh, and did really, really good stuff and continues to do good stuff is Wilderness Trail. I think they're, I think they're the ones that like, which is oddly enough, you can invest in their cask, which is, which is a little funny, but um, yeah, we talked about that earlier. Yeah. But, um, but I think so that would be too, like, I think, yeah, I think Ard, you know, Ardnamurkin for for a Scotch, and then um, and then Wilderness Trail for for an American whiskey. I don't know, Johnny. What about you? Oh, you took the words out of my mouth with Ardnamurkin. Um, I I think the fact that their model it, it's gonna it's gonna stand the test of time. I, I I hope so that they're trying to release these limited batches just based upon their availability because they want to release quality over quantity to an extent and appease the masses they're they want to sell it at a, uh, an affordable price and i think that's their their model is that they want to continue that sustainability not just within um the ecology in the production but just the um the sustainability for the brand itself and the quality of the juice knowing that there is going to be a certain percentage of people collecting or you know looking to flip it or add value to what it already should be or what it is um and then they want to keep that balance where it's just more about people drinking it. So I think that's where the new distillery is. And I think those are the distilleries to look after. Obviously the old dusties from McKellen and these classic other places that, you know, especially in the space side to me, I mean, I know that Isla is very popular just because it has that smoke level to it. And there's that whole allure of Lagavulin and all those other distilleries on the West coast. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's uh, again like it's 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 painting with painting with a with a infinite colors. How do, how do you choose? What why do you say that you're trying to <laughs> invest? I would rather invest in one bottle of every distillery than collect something that I knew was going to be worth more because that that doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah, know? yeah. So that's a bias. That's a biased statement, but it's kind of goes along with what you're saying uh, as far as you're opening everything. Like that's the culture we're just trying to change. It's like, okay, everyone relax. If if you want to go invest and flip it, make that the, the smaller percentage. Just let them enjoy that, and we go have our fun. I've yeah, so. I've, I found I found that you know, especially moving recently, I had to move all my bottles, um, and most of my 
I, a majority of my collection is still rum. Um, and you know, and rum has so many varying levels of, of price point. Right. Um, so, I mean, I, it's, it's everything from, you know, $10 bottles up to a couple hundred. Right. And, um, with, with that being the case, a lot of them just like only have a couple sips out of them, you know, and maybe it was like, a, it's like, Oh, this one, I tried it neat. I, uh, and then I put it in a daiquiri and that was kind of it. And I was like, Hey, now I've had that one. And so <laughs> it's, uh, I would much rather open up my bottles. Uh, Chris, what, what distilleries are you in investing in? Um, domestically, uh, wilderness trail was definitely top of my list. Um, they're really cool. I mean, we talked about them uh, on the last episode, um, they just make great juice. Uh, next to that, though, I, I would say um, Bardstown Distillery, not old Bardstown, uh, but Bardstown Distillery. They're, you know, yeah. they're they're uh, sort of the, the yin to the yang of MGP. They're they're huge. They're they're going to crush, um, but they're they're young um, and they're filling a whole space of the market side, the economic side of the industry that MGP isn't doing right. So MGP has, you know, three or four mash bills of their, of their bourbon and three or four mash bills of their rye. And then all the age statements that you can afford to buy. Um, and then you buy them, blend them or release them, whatever it is. And they just sell you those Bardstown on the other hand is willing to do whatever you want. You just have to buy it ahead of time. So they'll distill any mash bill that you want, produce it, put it in barrels, whatever barrels you want and age it for as long as you want. You just have to, you just have to pay them ahead of time. Um, or, you know, incrementally, I don't know whatever their contracts look like, but they're filling this a whole other side of the market, the MGP, you know, and, and they're doing literally the opposite business model, which I think is fascinating. So they're, they're going to crush, you know, and they're already taking these sort of um, antiquated brands and bringing them back to life. Um, Cyrus Noble, you're looking at um, uh, uh, what chicken cock also just the, like these really old brands that lost their distilleries that uh, have uh, have sold off to, to new investors, new new companies who own them or Cyrus Noble still, you know, same company. They just found a new distillery and, and just happens to be Bardstown. And um, do, it's really do you, great juice. Do you think that with, with everything that you're listening off, like especially American whiskey, which is, you know, um, a younger version of what Scotland has been, you know, age, age statement wise, do you think that this article is showing the, 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 the teetering of, not being able to have these casks and release in an economical packaged strength to where you're, you're going to see less and less 50 year old, 30 year old whiskeys that they're able to put this in a giant box, put Aston Martin on the front of it and say, it costs this much because, you know, like the, the, the first picture in that article is that, that Beaumore with the Aston Martin packaging. I don't think that, say, American whiskeys have any interest in doing that because the age statement isn't necessarily there. There are a few, but on the average, it's about maybe because of climate and everything else, it's, it's a younger whiskey. And I think well, I mean, people are understanding. I think there's, I think there's still like there's similar things that happen. It might not be like the age statement, and you and I don't, 
I do think there's some like there's some forms of luxury to to the bourbon market. Um, you know, you see that with like the inclusion of celebrities into this stuff, right? Um, Peyton Manning gets into the bourbon game and he gets this non-age statement whiskey that costs over two hundred something dollars, right? Like it's like just right out the gate. There's no there's no track record. There's nothing. You know, you do see like the same types of partnerships. So, um, who was it that did? The Statesman, the movie. Um, yeah, uh, it was like Old Forester. Old, Old Forester. Yeah, I think Old Forester. Yeah, yeah, they did. They did the Statesman. So you saw, you know, you saw that combination, and, and I do think that delicious. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it, in fact, like th- they kept it. Like they continue to sell it, which I think is hilarious because that movie was such a letdown um, compared to the first one. Um, but uh, that's just my own personal bias there. Uh, but I mean, I do, I do Jenny think that Tatum. there's, yeah, I mean, I lo- love the guy, but big, big swing and miss on that one. Um, I think, I, I think you'll, you'll always have like those whiskeys that, you know, they can just kind of pull out and do something with. I think a really good example of that was the collaboration between Diageo and the Game of Thrones bottles. You know, um, that was something where, you know, at first it was, it was a really, it was a really big deal. And I don't understand why it was. I mean, to me, it looked like a pretty clear cut, like we're dumping some barrels that we don't really, don't really, aren't really getting it done for us, uh, but we're going to put some cool packaging on them and we're going to try to appeal to fans. But it brought in these whiskey investors who all of them got burned. Nobody made money on, or maybe like some of the, maybe some of the stores early on, but it's like, you know, you can still pick up a lot of those, a lot of those bottles for, for very affordable pricing. And, um, and I'm not saying all those bottles were horrible either. There was, there was a couple gems in it, but um, I, know, would say, I, I, do I would think argue that all, all of them except for one was, were completely delicious. Well, I don't, I don't know, but disagree, but um, yeah, we can, we can, <laughs> maybe, maybe we do a game of Thrones flight. We can revisit them, but I did not feel the way I did not feel that way at the time um, with donuts. Yeah. Maybe we'll do it with donuts. <laughs> That'll make everything better. But, um, but, you know, but I, but I do think that, um, I, I, I just think that there's a different mentality when it comes to, when it comes to your scotches and your single malts and stuff like that. And, and I also think that it has a lot to do with, you know, the whiskey lock occurring in, in relatively recent history. And so for our listeners, what the, what the whiskey lock was like during the early eighties, basically the entire scotch industry just kind of like just kind of, you know, the bottom fell out and, um, there was so much, uh, there was so much Scott just sitting. They used to joke that you could, you could fill a lake with it, you know, or you could fill a lock, which is, you know, their lake equivalent. And, um, and I, and I think that's something that really resonates with, with a lot of people and like, you know, and, and kind of to what Chris was talking about with, with the Bardstown stuff is that you do see a lot of independent bottlers reviving, um, you know, mothball distilleries and and things like that. I just think that that people know that they can lay this stuff down for so much longer and that there is that payoff. Um, you know, these these distilleries, you know, some of these families have been around for hundreds of years, you know, and like they're just they're not going away even through um you know, different forms of prohibition and during the whiskey lock and, and things like that. I just think that there's a lot more of a long-term play, you know, for that. And bourbon is, is creating that 
that reputation as well. Um, you know, I don't think bourbon does as well sitting in sitting in a cast for for that long. So I don't think you'll see that. Mm-hmm. Um, like I know, you know a lot of people bring up like the Heaven Hill Twenty Seven, and I'm sorry if you think that whiskey is good, then we can't drink together. It's just it's <laughs> it's not. It's over oaked. Um, it's gorgeous. It is beautiful packaging, and I think Heaven Hill makes a tremendous amount of great products, even when they don't pay their employees. And, um, <laughs> but I, but I think with, but, I, but like when it came Shut to up. that, you know, when it came to that expression, it just, it just didn't, it didn't resonate, you know, at least with me. And I, and I think that was more like a clout whiskey. Um, but they do make a lot of like other really great stuff. And there is some really, you know, I think, I think sub 20 years on bourbon, like that's where you kind of need to be. Like there's just, you know, not too many of them can really hold up. And it, and that's not because like the, you know, the base product isn't good. It's like, it's like, man, it just gets so, gets so hot, you know, especially where most of this stuff is aging, whether that's Indiana or Kentucky, like it's just the, those weather fluctuations are just too intense. You're getting so much interaction with that barrel that it's, it's impossible for it not to get over oaked. So yeah, I, I definitely um, agree with that. I, I think, I think if you're aging, I mean, with, with anything really, I think you have the luxury of aging longer at, um, higher, higher, uh, latitudes, but if you're, you're aging anywhere in like the Kentucky region, if you're going over 15 years, it really has to be intentional. You have to, you really have to know what you're doing. You really have to like pay attention to those barrels and where they're sitting in your Rick house or, you know, like, them into a temper control space um so that way they can reach that that maturity carefully and willfully and not not by accident i have a question to pose to you and i guess it's kind of like a a perspective of flipping the script on based upon this article what happens if these limited editions these um whatever they are just within that 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 side re- over the core range what happens when those go away for all of these brands all these distilleries maybe the the uh the climate evens out and um, things cost what they need to cost or what they should cost and but w- does the sustainability continue beyond like the market does it what happens when it goes back towards like the marketing teams and the third parties, they don't have necessarily a job to do anymore. The ones who've made the boxes, the ones who don't come up with the Game of Thrones packaging um, and the idea of it within the distillery. So there's that well, vicious. I mean, you know, I'm not a politician, so I don't have to worry about job creation and or subtraction. Um <laughs> You know, obviously, I care about you because you're you're definitely one of those people that's doing the marketing and stuff like that. But I think <laughs> I think um, you know, I, I think when it oh. when it comes to when it comes to that kind of stuff, like it's it's always going to be about presenting your product and in the right light, get it in front of the right people, and trying to do it in a unique way. And I think you're a perfect example of how to do that. I mean, you know, I I never would have thought to to pair whiskey with donuts or, or, or someone else like, you know, um, like the Scotch trooper, you know, and he's no longer with us, but like, that was another guy who took this concept and, um, and just kind of, you know, created this brand new medium of, of like, you know, 
making people want to drink scotch or at least get their Star Wars figures out and play <laughs> around the scotch bottle or the whiskey bottles with them. You know, I think that there's there's always going to be creative people and there's always going to be creative ways to look at something brand new. Um, yeah, I it's completely unrelated, but you know, I'm I'm also like a huge Batman fan. And the one of the new Amazing. one of the new movies, you know, the new movies coming out uh, in the next couple of months, and and it has to do with this like this syndicate of of like this this family that is like uh, they call them the Court of the Owls. And this comic series came out a few years ago, and probably more because I don't have any concept of time anymore. But um, uh, when Court of Owls came out, it was I think it was I think it was post the seventy five year celebration. And it was just really amazing storyline. And, you know, a natural predator of, of a bat is an owl. And that was something that really wasn't tapped into through the 75 years of Batman's existence. And then suddenly, you know, they come, they're like, Hey, what if we did this? It's just kind of like, it's like, Holy shit. Like this, this intellectual property has been around for 75 years. And here's this brand new concept that gets brought to it by, you know, generations of readers and stuff like that. Then that then become the creators and, you know, whether, you know, whether you're pairing it with Star Wars action figures, a donut or the newest Channing Tatum movie, like there's just always going to be some way to try to push these things. And, and as, and as people get into it and, and actually to, to kind of bring it all the way back to the article that this conversation started with is that also one of the things that they talk about in it is you have a lot of people who are largely uneducated investing in these different bottles. What happens when you spend time in this world is you get more educated and with more education, you're going to make better decisions and then people will start to see through the bullshit, right? So it's like, this distillery doesn't make good whiskey. Who the fuck cares if it's paired with this brand, you know? And that's what happens. That cream eventually rises. It's like McAllen is always going to be a collectible whiskey because they do make good whiskey. You know, they don't make everybody's favorite whiskey, but they do make good whiskey that holds value and stuff like that. And I think that's eventually as people continue to dive further and further into this, it'll be like, like okay, like these distilleries, they don't necessarily make stuff that everybody wants. So these limited editions and stuff like that, like we're not going to go out and buy them because there's, there's no, there's no increase in value. You know, if my bottle says smooth on it, I'm probably not going to get my money back or it's not going to double anytime soon. You know what I mean? So, yeah, but I don't know. That's, I take those are my thoughts. I mean, Johnny, I hope you always have a job, you know, so (laughs) I'll say that. I'll be all right. I'll be all right. I have a I have another perspective on this, which is um, more of like a, a psychological marketing uh, perspective. Which is yes. like when, when we look at um, like let's take restaurants, uh, restaurant menus specifically. When you ask this question, this is the first thing that came to my mind. Um, when you're talking about uh, menu psychology, there's a there's a term called the anchor, um, and the anchor is the uh, you know, the most expensive item on, let's say the food menu, right. Um, that's your tomahawk ribeye, right? Like that's, it's the biggest, baddest, most expensive thing on the menu. Um, you do not have a lot of them. They sell out. If you, if you sell like two of them in a night, they probably sell out because they're not intended to actually like really sell that much. They sell occasionally. And if you sell them great, fantastic. 
Um, but really what it does is it offers context to everything else that you're offering. Um, and that's their entire purpose, right? People say, okay, this is cool. Like I see this, you know, 2000 bottle, $2,000 bottle of Macallan. That's crazy. They do this thing. It looks incredible. I can't afford that, but I can get this. I can afford this uh, brand new edition six that just came out. Um, and that's within my price reach and it still feels yeah. special. Um, and it still feels rare enough, you know, cause it's not something that like continues to exist. So while I can't, I can't go that high, I can do this. And, and I still feel like I, I'm like a part of it. I still feel like I got it. And I, I feel like for everyone that, wants to get backstage for that reason, <laughs> for that reason alone, that the special yeah. editions will never go away. True. Yeah. It's called, would you, it's so on the menu, it's called anchor. Yeah. It's called an anchor item. Anchor. Okay. No, n- never get the anchor item. <laughs> well, no, that uh, the, the anchor item isn't, isn't meant to like not get, it's not like, it's not one of those things that, uh, that's like meant to drive. Um, it, it, it's actually probably one of the better deals that you can find on, on the menu. The, oh, okay. you, usually the item that you don't want is the one that's like highlighted and, and right in the middle of the right in the middle of the menu. That's the one where they're like they, they're making the best margins and they just crank. And that doesn't mean it's bad by any means. It just means that like that's probably what you're overpaying for and and everyone gets it. and It's not special. And it's like it's like that's that's the margin right there. That's like that's what keeps this place alive is that one that one item. What what is the anchor of Denny's? Holy shit, that's a good question. I have the Grand, I the Grand I have, Slam. I haven't I haven't looked at their uh, their their menu and so it probably is the Grand Slam. Honestly, it's probably. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a lot of food, and I mean, it's still a great still a great deal, but it's a lot of food. It's definitely one of the definitely one of the more expensive things on there, at least for breakfast, but. I'm going to get know. six of them just to see if there's any arsenic in them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. That came full circle. Oh, brother. <laughs> Bring it back. Yo. You know who's dope? Them over there. All right. Now it's time for my favorite segment, our dope follows of the week. This is where we're going to tell you who you should check out online or via books, movies, podcasts, Instagram accounts, Twitter accounts. I don't care what it is. We're going to find out some, we're going to find out three cool new people to follow today. So uh, our guest of honor, Johnny, as, as someone who has actually been a dope follow recommendation before, (laughs) who is your dope follow this week? Uh, I'm going to go with the, uh, an Instagram account. And it's an international photographer, and the handle is Drink in Moderation. And this guy likes to uh, use his subject matter, usually models, friends, whatever. Um, and they just fling beautiful wine in glasses and bottles um, everywhere. So check it out. It's fun, inspiring. There's a little bit of education about um, viticulture and, and beyond. So. Drink in moderation. Drink in moderation. Here we go. 
I love the uh, I Will love traveled the, this one. The profile mm-hmm. picture of uh, chugging out of a carboy. That's that's pretty good. Some amazing stuff. Yeah, you uh, talk about an endless scroll and just dive into that. It just kind of makes you fall in love with the wine, even if you're a novice. Really, really amazing photography. And they're beautiful pictures. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. Drink in moderation. Oh, I mean, like, there's uh, how how he shows, like, how he gets some of the pictures as well. Oh, yeah. It's a total BTS, everything. It's it's just, uh, you know, it's just all, it's all fun love. What's BTS? Oh. Behind the scenes. Oh, behind the scenes. Heard. Jesus <laughs> Christ, Chris. I'm telling Come you, it's these days, man. Get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Chris, who's your dope follow? Uh, I have two. Uh, uh, first one oh, actually com- wow, comes from uh, this week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> first one comes from uh, from uh, our good friend Jared, uh, who hit me up uh, today, and he was like, "Yo, I got a dope follow for you." And it's it's great, uh, and it's on. Um, it is. It's not on Instagram. It's on TikTok, and it's MF Benji. And it is uh, Michael, um, uh, forgive me, he's a comedian, and his name- Michael Benjamin. Michael Benjamin, thank you, Jesus, I was looking for it. Yeah, it's hilarious. Uh, He just talks wildly and randomly and and has conversations with himself that are hilarious, and it's great. And uh, (laughs) uh, I went scrolling for, for a solid, like, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Actually, the all everyone at Good Bottle today was scrolling through through his entire feed. So it was definitely worthwhile. Uh, so good looking it, out, Jared. His profile says actor, writer, comedian in LA. Period. Nora Jones, please follow me. <laughs> <laughs> Just shoot your shot. Shoot your shot. Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, and then uh, my dope follow uh, is an Instagram, obviously, because I'm an Instagram whore. And uh, it's uh, uh, at shitty wine memes. I, I don't know if we've done this one before, but if we have, it's worth doing it again. Uh, I love shitty yeah. wine memes, man. <laughs> this brings me um, no end of joy throughout my week of just like ridiculous industry specific. But you don't even need to be that specific. You just have to drink wine occasionally to enjoy it. Um, and it's hilarious. It's clever. It's witty. Um, it's smart. So shitty wine memes. Get at it. I love I love <laughs> that account. It is it is definitely one of my favorites. Um, they do such a good job. It just cracks me up. So I, I second that. Definitely. If you haven't already, follow them because they're just amazing. So amazing. <laughs> Some of these are great. The, the witches and werewolves and natural wine drinkers and then everything where it coincides. It just says knowing exactly when the full moon is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's biodynamic, oh. sir. It's biodynamic. <laughs> That's what that means. Yeah. Uh, oh, all right. So- and so, so, so mine uh, is actually going to surprise people because it's a bourbon account. Um, but it's actually, uh, ran by a friend of mine, uh, Jason Ornelius here in Sacramento. Um, and it's bourbon, uh, dot and dot smoke. And, uh, and, and Jason is known within Sacramento for, uh, for creating the Ornelius pour, 
uh, the Ornelius pour is when you take a Glencairn and you fill it to the very brim. And then you, that's, that's how you drink your whiskey. Um, and so <laughs> it was something that started within the river city whiskey society quite a few years ago. And then it just turned into, it just has its life of its own. And so then, um, a while ago, Jason started to do, uh, this, this Instagram account. And one of my favorite, favorite things that he did was, you know, and I, and I think a lot of it goes to TikTok, but again, I refuse to get a TikTok. So I don't, I don't know if it's on there, but I get the TikTok vibes from his, from this Instagram. And, um, he took like a, a bag of tater tots and, you know, threw them onto, threw them onto like the, onto the pan, put them into the oven. And then when he pulled it out, it was a bottle of uh, Blanton's, right? Like, that's how you get your, your tater juice. Um, and then, so, you know, he does like the voiceover things and stuff like that. And this past weekend, uh, he, he did a message, you know, talking about, you know, something along the lines of like the, the, the quote was, you know, all bourbons taste the same. And it's like, what are you crazy? And stuff like that. And he, and so I, of course, commented on, it. he goes, like, Oh yeah, you were the inspiration for this. Cause that's what I say about bourbon all the time. And, um, and that's a hill I'm willing to die on. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but he's, he's doing a good job and he, and he creates a lot of funny stuff. Um, and so like, again, it's, it's bourbon dot and dot smoke. And, uh, yeah, go give, go give Jason a follow. It's, it's really funny stuff. Um, and there's, there's a couple, there are a couple other ones, but I couldn't find them, uh, that I wanted to share with you guys, but, uh, it was basically just making fun of all the bourbon people. So I wanted to give you balance, but I couldn't find the other account. I'll have to maybe include that in the Instagram post. So, uh, but yeah, uh, you guys, those are some, those are some pretty dope follows. Good follows for sure. <laughs> the music for the good bottle podcast is orchestrated by the Moore brothers and produced you know what pretty well today uh by these two guys and before we go kill these <laughs> bottles that we've been drinking we ask that if you've enjoyed today's episode please smash that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review Oh, and share it with your friends. Tell oh, them all to your listen, friends. You know, yeah, all your friends. Because we're we're we've actually found out today we're now in twenty different countries. So we're like we're like uber national. Everybody, like we're getting it's getting real. Um, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at the Good Bottle Podcast, or on our personal accounts. Mine is D Garrison Six. Chris is Chris and Flair. Johnny, where can they find you on the social medias? Uh, whiskey and donuts and Speyside S P E Y S Y D E. And specifically that's, that's whiskey with no E. I made the mistake of following whiskey yes. with an E and I was like, this doesn't feel like oh. the right guy. Yeah. Uh, two very nice guys, but not my account. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, yeah, Johnny spells it correctly. So that's all I got to say about that. Ooh, um, fighting words. Yeah. You can support the podcast by visiting our Etsy shop. Just look for good bottle podcast on there. You can get yourself one of our t-shirts that, you know, officially declares you as a booze pundit. So, um, so check that out. And you can also visit, uh, anchor.fm slash good bottle podcast where you can, uh, donate to the podcast. And we will use that money to go out and buy a bunch of donuts to, to drink, to eat with our whiskey. And if you would like for us to cover a story or if you were working with a brand that would like to be featured, please email us at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. And as a final reminder, you can purchase the bottles that we drink on this episode at thegoodbottleshop.com. So do not wait. Go buy the Lumrick. Go buy the Westward Whiskey. They are both delicious. But until next time, guys, cheers. Cheers! I like that dance. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
That's how we roll. It's like a donut. Awkward, awkward white guy dances. We did it again. Yeah. We made it. Don't, donut dance.